Hey, it's Craig Brady. Thanks for finding us on the Toronto Today podcast. Well, a post-election day morning show covers a lot of ground when it comes to the federal election and the liberal minority. We talked to uh, incumbent liberal MP Adam Vancouverton, who easily won his riding and remains MP in Milton. We talked to a former liberal MP to get her perspective, and we had a great interview with her, Selena Caesar Siobhan joined us on the show and we talked as well regionally to Alex Pearson and we talked to Bill Kelly from CHML in Hamilton plus what happened when for this day September 21st it's the Toronto Today podcast thanks for finding us enjoy so Aaron O'Toole said this yesterday and I agree about the moves and the strides that the conservatives have made to me to go away from him if you're a conservative you don't want to start this process over you don't want to knife this guy in the back like you did Andrew Shear where you say the social conservatism was what cost us in 2019. Here is Aaron O'Toole commenting and basically setting himself up and saying, this is what we did, and this is what's going to get the job done to win an election eventually. But when we are divided, Canadians get left behind. Mr. Trudeau thinks Canadians should endure 18 more months of divisive campaigning so he can try once again to get the election result he wants. We need to heal the divides in Canada not risk worsening them for selfish gains. A few months ago, I told Conservatives that our party needed the courage to change because Canada has changed. Over the past 36 days, we have demonstrated to Canadians that we have set out on a path to engage more Canadians in our Conservative movement. One that addresses is the challenges of today while advancing the dreams of tomorrow. Ours is a conservatism that dwells not in the past, but learns from it to secure the future. Yeah, that's Aaron O'Toole last night. Um, I, I agree with those principles. I just I cannot believe the party is going to pull the car over again, like less than a year and a half after electing Aaron O'Toole and go, we got to go in a different direction. And he's right. You better change because the country's changed. A lot of the arguments and principles that might have existed for conservatives 30 years ago during the height of the Mulroney years, they just aren't arguments we have anymore at the dinner table or at a backyard barbecue. Farah Nasser uh, wrote something interesting I want to get to with uh, Sean O'Shea, and he joins us now. It's great to have you on. I know you've been cooking at it all night, uh, Global News investigative reporter. I know how much uh, you know, you've worked on the campaign trail, so I can't thank you enough for making the time for me this morning. Not at all, Greg. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. Uh, so Far wrote this, and I think it's a great question. I gave it some thought last night. What is the path to government for the conservatives? Sticking with base didn't work. Courting progressives didn't work. If you could advise the Conservative Party of Canada later today, Sean, knowing what you know about the history of our politics and where we are now, what would you tell them to do? Boy, what a great question, Greg. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, and the PPC figures into all of this thing, right? Because I was at one of their rallies a week ago in Oakville, and they didn't have a huge um, effect on the election this time, but they're uh, a party to be concerned about because, you know, Andrew, uh, Aaron O'Toole was, was making a real move uh, to the center from the right in this election, as you described. And you'd think that that is where uh, the path to to success would be. Um, but just you just don't know. I just come out of this wondering, you know, what does the guy have to do? I mean, I spoke to Michael Couture, who was on the campaign with the Conservatives for much of the campaign, and he said, you know, the, the, the move to the middle for him was really tough. 
and mm-hmm. trying to establish himself with Canadians is really tough. And you, you think you were right beforehand. I mean, the idea of finding another leader, throwing this one out and starting all over again, doesn't make a lot of sense. Constitutionally, they have to do a review and see how it's going and, and give them a blessing to do it again. But it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to start all over again when this guy was doing a lot of what you wanted the last guy to do. But he didn't do it. And he's got to, Sean, he's got to keep blasting away at Ontario. You know, he's getting gifted Alberta. He's getting gifted um, Saskatchewan. He's got he's got some good good spots in, in Manitoba. Starting from scratch, like, you, you just got to keep going with the jackhammer in Ontario and, and blast through sort of that 905 wall. And, and I know it's different. I know, I know this isn't, uh, you know, the Mulroney era or even the start of the Harper era. Politics has changed. But abandoning it now um, means starting over again. You don't, you, you bring a guy out west to Ontario – that's going to be that's just not going to be the fit that, that the conservatives need here. Yeah, and I'm from out west. I'm an Albertan by birth. I live in Saskatchewan. I know the way the western politics works and conservatives out there are a bit of a different breed when it compares to the kind of conservative you need to get votes in the 905 to get votes in uh, the cities because you do have to get some support if you want to be prime minister in those kinds of areas mm-hmm. which the conservatives didn't get except for Thornhill which was a a keeper. Um I don't know what they have to do, but starting all over again doesn't seem to be the way to do it. And I think one of the reasons why the Liberals did pretty well here is the fear factor. Uh, you know, O'Toole is not that well known. He'll be better known a year from now. He'll be better known 18 months from now. That doesn't mean everybody want to vote for him. But the whole idea of, of the fear factor won't play in as much as it did this time. Sean O'Shea uh, joining us on Global News Radio 640 Toronto on Toronto Today with Greg Brady. I want to ask you before we get to Trudeau quickly about the PPC. You said you're, you know, you're on the ground with them uh, at the, at one of their rallies. This is what I see. They're hard to analyze. They increase their vote, their popular vote to 5%. So they, they definitely, um, you know, ran, ran some disruption with, with the potential, maybe eight, 10 conservative seats. It wouldn't have turned the election. But I do wonder, Sean, if the pandemic is what propelled the interest in them. Lockdowns, closures, we've all sat around and, and had a had a pop and debated what should be open and what should be closed. But the rest of it, it's, it's troublesome, right? And post-pandemic, are they going to just stand there and, and look very, very fringe at, to a lot of people who who have been so frustrated by COVID. It's pretty far from the mainstream. I think Canadian Canadians, pardon me, Greg, Canadians like uh, uh, definite government. They'd like people that they can trust. And that's why, you know, I remember when Joe Clark was like, when I got started in this business mm-hmm. uh, in late seventies, you know, Joe Clark became prime minister in a minority government. And he lost that job a year later, back to Pierre Trudeau in 1980. Uh, Joe Clark was not uh, a scary kind of conservative the way that some conservatives are seen. And when you look at Maxime Bernier, who was, of course, a conservative and has some pretty wild things to say that don't resonate with the majority of people, you wonder how far they're going to go. But I'll tell you, I was out north of Toronto, uh, up at Tobermory uh, on vacation a couple weeks ago, saw as many PPC signs as I did conservative signs, and that's conservative country. So they did make inroads, inefficient inroads, because they didn't get any seats. So just as the Conservatives got you know, more popular vote than the Liberals did, they didn't win. And so you can get all the popular vote you want, but the proof in the pudding is seats, because that's how you form government. And it's going to be a... I can't see them forming uh, the capability of getting seats 
with the with the platform that they have in this campaign. I can't. No. Uh, Sean O'Shea joining us, Global News Radio 640 Toronto. So six prime ministers have won three straight elections since World War One. What happened before World War One doesn't terribly have a lot of relevance in today's society. Uh, it isn't. I apologize if you're 105 years old and you're listening right now. But either way, um, Justin Trudeau becomes the sixth. Um, no one's won a fourth. And Sean, as you know, from your history, many have just said, I'm not going for a fourth. Cretchen didn't go for a fourth. Um, you know, Trudeau did, didn't get it. Diefenbaker didn't get it. Um, what do you like Justin Trudeau? We look at and we say, well, yeah, if there's an, another election 18 months from now and we're post pandemic, he can crow about how he got Canada through the pandemic. And he's young enough to do this. Whereas a guy like Cretchen and his dad may not have necessarily been deep into their careers. What do you think is the future for Justin Trudeau? Do you think he's the liberal leader in a next election? Look, he brought back the party from uh, obscurity when he won and took the government in, in 2015. And I'm telling you, like him or dislike him, I've not seen a campaigner as good as Justin Trudeau work the crowd and use the enthusiasm to get it going. Uh, yes, he's not the same Justin Trudeau as he was in 2015. People aren't coming out of the woodwork to mm. to want to see him in the same way. Uh, Jugmeet Singh has a personal appeal that's probably higher, but he's a great campaigner, and look what he did. He didn't win the majority government that they started this whole thing for, but he survived. And, you know, you're a guy that knows sports a lot mm. better than I do. The reality is, what's the score? The score you win, and the, the details mm. on all the stats aren't as important as whether you won, and he won. I got a great I, I know you got a blast. I got 45 seconds left uh, and a great text question for you from uh, from one of your fans, uh, Steve, who really likes the work you do. He writes, good morning. Ask Sean if the NDP don't support the liberals. Will we possibly have an election next summer? Jugmeet Singh still is in that kingmaker role, Sean, but it's it's hard to see. Singh can't complain about this election and then trigger another one in the next 12 months. And Greg, they don't have the money, right? Yeah. They're expensive campaigns cost a lot of money to run airplanes and to do these campaigns. They're broke. They're not going to be running another campaign right away. Can't support, I can't imagine them not supporting the liberals. I know you've got expenses and invoices to turn in. I wish you all the best um, with that, Sean, in the next uh, few weeks. Greg, thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Sean. Loved having you on. Big fan. Sean O'Shea joining us, Global News investigative uh, reporter. Our next guest, uh, a winner last night. He is continues to be Milton's MP, uh, former Olympic gold medalist Adam Vancouver, and kind enough to take some time to join us. Adam, thanks for your patience. We're busy this morning. I'm sure you are, too. I'm sure it was a late night. It was for all of us. Thanks for making time for us. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Congratulations on, on the win. What was different about campaigning as an uh, incumbent MP in a pandemic as opposed to a challenger in a non-pandemic two years ago for you? Yeah, thanks. I don't think that the difference can really be understated. Uh, it's very different. For one, um, it was a lot shorter because in 2019, I, I campaigned in Canvas for almost a year. Uh, it was my full-time job because I, I quit mine and uh, decided to pursue, you know, politics and uh, and public advocacy full-time. So, you know, this time was a lot shorter. Uh, there's the obvious uh, constraints on, on indoor gatherings and, you know, wearing a mask door-to-door has its challenges. 
Um, but a lot of the same things rung true as well. You know, we knocked on doors, we talked to our neighbors, we connected with people, and they're sending my team and I back to Ottawa to continue the work that we started two years ago. It, it seemed an election. I, I heard from MPs uh, who didn't want to reveal, um, you know, their identity, and, and I'm good with that, who said, it's, you know, I understand why we're doing it, but but it's it's not ideal. It's not ideal to campaign in a pandemic. It's not ideal to come back and ask voters to give you something that they gave you 23 months ago. Uh, you're a guy that speaks your mind. Was there any element of that for you whatsoever where you understood the process and understood the need um, to continue with the mandate? But at the same time, it was it was difficult to to go to some of the same people and ask for the same thing again. Certainly. And we talked about that and answered that question and many similar questions door to door for the last 37 days or so. And I'll tell you exactly what I told them was that in 2019, I was elected for one reason and the ballot box issues have drastically changed. We've also made some extraordinary investments in this country and some big decisions. And I think Canadians deserve a chance and an opportunity to weigh in on on a path forward. But more than, than any of that, Canadians trusted us to manage the pandemic and get to this point in the pandemic. And we need a mandate in order to fight it and get rid of it forever and finish the fight against COVID-19. That's the number one issue on everybody's minds as we're getting back to school, as we're going back to work, and for parliamentarians now, as we're going back to Ottawa, is how do we complete this this mission? And and I'm grateful for, for Canadians who, who went to the ballot box and said, you know what, you guys have done well, you've managed this pandemic as well as any country in the world. And it's time to finish the fight. And they've given us that mandate to do just that. Milton MP, Adam Vancouver, and our guest on Toronto Today with Greg Brady. When you look at, you know, no one signs up to be a politician uh, in in a global pandemic. Uh, you didn't. Some did this time around. The idea that a, that a new MP or a new MP candidate would want to take this challenge on and not sort of wait this out is is commendable. There's no doubt about it that uh, it, it, it takes a special person to have this guidance on all parties. And, and just to put their name out there, you were a public figure before going into politics. You've seen and every candidate, excuse me, every party has had uh, an issue here and an issue there. Important issues, issues we all care about where, um, you know, being in the public eye is is more difficult than ever. There's more exposure than ever. There's more pitfalls than ever. Tell me about that a little bit in terms of, of what you, you saw, maybe even in some of the other races and even in some of the other issues that we saw brought up. For sure. Well, in 2019, I had so many visitors come to my riding. And, you know, teach me about how to talk to people, how to connect with folks on a political level, because that was pretty new to me. And I'm talking about other MPs and other candidates and ministers. And even the prime minister came a couple of times to Milton. And these experiences are really helpful, right? Because going door to door, as much as it's all about connecting with people, it can also be a little bit lonely because you're talking about yourself like endlessly, right? And even for mm-hmm. Olympic athletes, I think that can be kind of weird and challenging. Like, who are you and why are you here, right? Um, but all of those all those MPs and you know, friends and mentors came to Milton to help out, even if it was just for 45 minutes or an hour. But I recognized the value in that. So this campaign, I did the same thing. And I went out to like 14 or 15 different ridings. I always managed to get back to Milton for some door knocking in the morning or some door knocking uh, later that evening. But uh, sharing that experience with, with my colleagues and future colleagues, a few of them who were brand new. And uh, like you mentioned, you know, Richie Valdez from Streetsville, amazing. She's an incredible community organizer. Uh, she's got a, a strong voice, and she's going to bring Streetsville's voice to, to Ottawa, which is amazing. And Valerie Bradford, uh, out in mm-hmm. Kitchener, South Hespler, uh, new faces for the Liberal Party to to celebrate. And it's so important that we recognize that this is a new House of Commons, right? Like, we 
we uh, we had to say goodbye to a couple of people, whether they weren't elected or they didn't run again. But we've got a new group going to Ottawa to finish the fight against COVID-19 and continue all of the really important work as well, from fighting climate change and making sure that housing is affordable, making sure that everybody's got a voice, making sure that we build back better. That's a team effort. And the team really pitched in this time around, and I couldn't be more proud. Strikes me that any elite athlete, um, this could be like, you know, we're talking to a listener who's a golfer or who's a hockey player, tennis player. Sometimes you remember the bad shots and you focus on the bad shots more than the good ones. And you say, these are the things I want to get better at. And if you don't have that perspective, you know, some of us might be in the wrong business. So if I asked you, what's one thing the 150 some MPs, when they get together with the prime minister, What's something the government can improve on? What's something you can drill down and focus on in the next 18 months that maybe, not that you took your eye off the ball, but that you just, that, that just there were so many balls we were juggling in the air. What's the one thing the government wants to accomplish that maybe they didn't complete or didn't have the proper focus on the previous 18 months? Well, that's a really good question, and I totally agree. Uh, as an athlete, I always knew that I was either coming home from a race with a gold medal or a lesson. And oftentimes, you know, a silver medal in a lesson or an eighth place finish in a lesson was better for me at that point than a gold medal because it came down to what I wasn't doing perfectly and how I needed to improve. And focusing on those areas of, uh, of improvement uh, are what makes us, you know, constantly developing human beings, whether we're kayakers or golfers or members of parliament, right? Um, I know what I need to do better. Uh, I'm looking at, you know, if I, if I lost any voters in the last two years, then why and how and how can I make sure that I don't? In the next two years, the next four years, um, I want to communicate with my with my neighbors better, my constituents better. I want to send them mail that they'll open. You know, I think MPs send a lot of mail and it often just goes right into the recycling bin. But I want my newsletter to be meaningful for people because I want it to be that voice, my communications back to them and can't rely on social media and, e- and email and uh, and writing in the newspaper for everybody. So finding people where they are is really important to me. And I think that's kind of challenging in suburban Canada because, you know, we're just going about our lives. Like maybe you don't want to hear from your MP every single day. So, um, but I think the biggest thing for me is, is being a really effective communicator. Adam Vancouver and our guest on Toronto today on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Um, I'm sure you felt this and 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 heard this and this resonated when you talked to voters. We really, uh, in the midst of the pandemic, Adam, realized how important our provincial elections are. If we ever dismissed them and thought, well, they're not important because it's about health care, it's about education. I'm sure you had frustrated voters and sometimes you got to explain to people, uh, we don't control that. We got nothing to do with whether schools, not mu- as much to do with whether schools are open or closed or the state of our hospitals hospitals but there has to be a synergy right with the federal government and the provincial government and at times as as I, i'm sure we'd agree in ontario at times that's been lacking is there any way to improve that under the current circumstances leading up to the next provincial election well when when canadians and when miltonians ask me you know about about health care and education i have a lot to talk about and I, I don't try to play like the jurisdictional football i try to you know, explain how the federal government does actually invest in these things. Like through the Safe Return to Schools program, uh, the federal government invested over $50 million in schools in Halton alone. So our investments in, in health care are, are, are obvious and our plan commits to way more investing in health care across the country in very specific and targeted, targeted and strategic ways to improve that system because it's one that we've relied on so heavily and there's been some, some gaps exposed. Well, yes, I, I agree that our uh, our provincial governments across the country are really, really important. And you know, I don't want to get into things mm-hmm. that I need. I, I think need to change here in Ontario. Uh, but it's back to school time in the middle of a pandemic. So healthcare and, and education are obviously really, really top of mind. 
But I think more than anything, governments need to listen to people and not just not just polls and not just, you know, that sort of populist approach of this is what we think people need to want to hear. Um, because governments have an obligation to listen to people, but they also have an obligation to make sometimes really unpopular decisions. And I think we're seeing that in, in Alberta is an unwillingness to make unpopular or unfavorable political decisions sometimes is your job. And mm-hmm. yeah, it might cost you. It might cost you the next election, and that's the the, the hand that you're dealt. Uh, but I think once people actually see it, they'll they'll call it what it is, and that's true leadership is the ability to, you know, to come out from the house every day and say, mm-hmm. no, you're not going to school and you're not going to work. You got to stay home. And uh, it's that's been a an eye opener for me in the last two years. Uh, you know, going door to door and and listening to people tell me why they haven't been vaccinated and why they're not going to get vaccinated. That was those are some scary conversations. Uh, but I think all levels of government have have worked together uh, quite well uh, over the past uh, couple of years. And I think that teamwork is so, so critical. Last question for you. By the way, Adam, Adam Vancouver and joining us on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau announced there's there's a, a large fund of money that's going to help provinces create their own vaccine passports. Uh, you know, you mentioned you're a Miltonian, you're a, uh, an Ontarian, you're a Canadian. So this is less me asking you as a politician and just somebody that talks in the community with people. As I hear from people, the biggest frustration I hear, Adam, with COVID, and this is not necessarily about government, is just what's the off ramp? What's the end game? I think when we all fully vaccinated people walk into a grocery store, we send our kid to high school with a mask on. We wonder when will he get to take that off? And nobody knows that definitive answer, but I, but I do wonder if there's a way forward. And if you hear that from people that the frustration is, okay, so what if we do get to this percentage? The the city of Toronto is let's get vaccinated. Let's get vaccinated. Let's get to 90%. Well, what happens when we get there? We don't have answers on that. Do you hear that from, from uh, voters? Do you hear that from neighbors? Yeah, for sure. I hear the frustrations around a lot of the things that you mentioned door to door. And, you know, I try to listen. I honestly, I try to see past like the, I don't, I don't want to dismiss people. Oh my God, you're just being anti-vax or something like that. People mm-hmm. have a perspective and I need to hear it. Um, and I think, first of all, we should call vaccine passports or mandates or whatever you want to call them. Um, I think we should call them by the same familiar term we've always used, which is your immunization record. You know, if you've ever traveled to Africa or you've, you signed your kid up for kindergarten, you know that it's an immunization record and it's important to protect everybody. Mm. Um, and I think the off ramp is, is a lower transmission rate. And the reality is people are still going to the ICU. And the lesson that we can learn from, from the ICU numbers is that like 95% of the people who are in the ICU are unvaccinated individuals. So, like it's horrible, but it, it almost seems like it's an option now because everybody's got the ability to almost certainly pre- prevent themselves from having to go through that. And, you know, there, there may be other arguments for it, but I think the argument that you can prevent a, 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 an ICU stay by going to get this free effective vaccine is really, really key. So we're not out of the woods yet. And I think when, when the, I'm not an immunologist or an epidemiologist or a doctor or anything like that. And I remind people of that all the time when I'm, talking about these issues because look i'm just i'm basically the messenger in these situations and i'm proud to be Um, but i think when the uh when the case rate and the transmission rate drops to the point where you know we can feel uh like we've really beaten this thing i think that's when we can take these masks off and you know hug each other at a a busy restaurant and get back to normal and i I gotta say i'm the first in line man I'm, i'm so anxious to do that me too. Uh, Adam Vancouver, and join us. Uh, thank you very much for the time. Your writing gave you a resounding mandate. I know you credited your team a ton last night. I also know nine of ten people that get told, hey, you should run. You should go into politics. Nine of ten people don't, and you were one of the ten that did. Thanks very much for the time today. Congratulations. Cheers. Really appreciate the time today, guys. You got it. Adam Vancouver, uh, joining us on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. 
boss, who's our next guest boss. I'm like, let's start at 5 a.m. And uh, and then <laughs> I heard the shift with uh, Shane Hewitt wrapping up around like in my car around 4.48. I'm like, oh, maybe because now and then I don't always check the uh, the old email machine. And I'm like, maybe we are starting it. But we weren't. We weren't uh, starting at 5.30. And people say like pretty boring. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, because I mean, I was on the air in Detroit for uh, the morning after I was doing sports talk then. But the morning after Bush Gore. You don't understand. Like, I wish I had audio of that. It was so confusing. We didn't know which way it was going to land. And last night, I get it. Yeah, you could have uh, you could have turned off the television around. Really not like after the polls closed in Ontario, you could have turned everything off and known how it was all going to work. Now, there still are, um, you know, uh, ridings and there still are votes to be determined. There's mail in ballots. It could affect a race in Hamilton. As a matter of fact, let's go there right now. The host of the Bill Kelly show in Hamilton, the uber popular Bill Kelly. It's great to have you on. How are you tonight? Today? Uh, this, this morning, Greg. It's yeah, I don't know. See, I, I tell you, yeah, these, these clock, these clock things, they're very strange instruments. Mark, Mark Espresso for Greg, please. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, at late night last night, I got to tell you though, you, you're absolutely right. By about uh, 930, the polls closed here in Ontario. And by about 9.50 or so, I, 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 as I mentioned in my a note I sent you last night, I said, I started sneaking peeks over at the Monday Night Football game. Because <laughs> I, I, I knew, I knew it's, it's going to be a liberal minority, which I kind of figured was going to happen anyway. Uh, and, by, and by the way, the Monday Night game was a blowout too. So I figured, okay, fine, there's no sense watching that anymore either. But it's, it, it's coming down as expected. And, you, and you're right, there were some pretty close races, uh, you know, on this side of, of uh, you know, the 406. Well, we're kind of like in the southern Ontario region, as, as the Oakville Ford plant is, okay, that's the dividing line. Okay, the rest of it is mm-hmm. GTA, and then over here. Uh, and no major surprises here. I mean, Karina Gold, a former cabinet minister in the last Trudeau government, got elected in Burlington again. Uh, same old, same old. Uh, Philomena Tassi, uh, another minister, the labor minister, uh, is reelected in the west end of the city. The big uh, area of concern here is Hamilton Mountain, which is considered to be, uh, for many years, a bellwether riding. Uh, it was held by the uh, the NDP for the longest time, since about 2005. Uh, and it's still up in the air. Lisa Hepner, who's a TV uh, reporter for, for Channel 11 here in Hamilton, uh, has a slight lead like that. But I think this is one of these things, Greg, that's probably not going to be decided until the mail-in ballot. So it may be Wednesday before we get any results about that. The other surprise, maybe not such a surprise for the people that live in the area, is uh, Hamilton East Stony Creek, which uh, former Mayor Bob Rotina, former broadcaster Bob yeah. Rotina held, uh, is uh, now taken by Chad Collins, who's been a longtime city councilor for that area, too. Uh, for years and years, people were suspecting that Chad was going to eventually run for either federal or provincial politics. He finally took the leap, and it uh, looks like he's going to hold that seat for the Liberals. So uh, not a whole lot of change going on in the area. The only other one I wanted to mention, though, is uh, rather interesting, and, uh, and it's in Haldeman, which is a, a Tory stronghold. That's uh, south of Hamilton. You're looking down around Port Dover, uh, Natico, places like that. And uh, and that of course is is now uh, Leslie Lewis, who a uh, member who made a lot of waves as uh, a candidate for the conservative leadership race a couple of years ago, uh, the one that eventually Aaron O'Toole won. Uh, she took over that riding. Uh, that Diane Finley resigned, of course. So she's held that reason that they were since two thousand four. Uh, Leslie Lewis is still what a lot of people consider to be a mover and a shaker in that party. And if the knives are going to be out for Aaron O'Toole, and there is going to be some sort of a leadership review, you got to wonder if somebody like Leslie Lewis. Is, is sitting in the wings saying, okay, let's uh, see what happens You know, when the dust settles. Uh, she may just be there once again as an alternative for, for O'Toole, but I think uh, we're a little early yet just to start you know, speculating on that. But I, I put this in context, though, Greg. I mean, we were talking last night about you know, the, the, when Trudeau won his majority government a couple of elections ago. 
uh, and Tom Mulcair are expected to win the friggin' thing. I mean, you know, everybody thought, okay, the NDP's finally going to elect the prime minister. Uh, and he lost, and, and the, to the shock of an awful lot of people in the NDP party. Remember a couple months yeah. ago, they went up to Edmonton for uh, what they said was a policy review, and they said, oh, we're gonna, oh by the way, Tom, you're out. Uh, we don't want you anymore. Uh, I, I'm not so sure if they're going to do that with O'Toole, but it, the politics is a, is a, a, a dirty game, and, and you don't know what's going to happen, and just what the conservatives are thinking right now in the back rooms. It, it's fascinating because I'm glad you went there with Leslie Lewis because she had a lot of controversial views. There's there's a lot of yeah. social conservative issues that I thought wouldn't be put on the table. But but I realized two years ago, Bill, that it's very hard to predict. And it's still, you know, people talk about, well, Canadians are divided. I'll tell you who's divided. It's the conservative party as a whole. When O'Toole, yeah. right, an Ontario guy goes out to Alberta and says, hey, here's our convention. We got to talk about climate change. And they're like, climate change. You know, climate change. We have no interest. We have no interest in talking about that. But it, but it's interesting, right? Because you mentioned Sheer, and I'm thinking, okay, they went. Sheer cut in, won the popular vote, added a lot of seats, and the knives were out for him. Like within 48 hours, you were hearing rumors he's done. I can't believe they would do that here and uh, and go in a different direction again. Because then they look like a party that that doesn't know who to choose and whether to move to the center or whether to move to the right. You know why, though, Greg? Because winning is everything. Uh, you you won, you you won the popular vote. So what? You didn't get. You know you don't hold the seat. You're not in the corner office at Queens in, in in Parliament Hill, and that's what it comes down to. What's interesting about this, though, is let's face it: the the tactic that O'Toole tried to adopt, and, and Alberta was a great example of this, is he wanted to move the party back to the middle. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be the progressive conservative once again, uh, and Alberta wasn't having any of it. And even here in Ontario, when you look at the results. Uh, although I'm, I'm sure he was gearing what he was trying to do here to try to win votes in the, in the 905 416, it didn't work. So does the party say, "All right, Aaron, you, you took a shot at it, it was wrong. We're going back to the far right now." And, and Leslie Lewis might be a potential candidate because that's obviously where she is. She's not a moderate by any stretch of the imagination. And there's a lot of people in the Conservative Party right now that says, "Okay, Aaron, yeah. you had your shot. It didn't work. We're going to head back here, and, and we're going to be a, the small C conservatives once again." Bill Kelly's joining us, 900 CHML host, The Bill Kelly Show, 9 o'clock this morning. You know, um, and we've talked before a ton about American politics, but that's what it reminds me of. That's the fight for the soul of the conservative party right now. It's not unlike what the Democrats dealt with last time. They're like, who can we get to go against Trump? And they settled on going as far to the middle, almost the middle right as they could with Joe Biden. Bernie Sanders. Oh, no, that's not a good idea. That'll make voters nervous. Elizabeth Warren. No, that's not. a. So I, I think making voters uneasy. And I think in Canada, I think we get too uneasy with someone that's too far right. Right. Because we've put we've put issues of gay marriage behind us. We've put issues of being pro-life or pro-choice behind us. Of course, we talk about some regulations and limitations on things like that. But for the most and that's what Andrew Scheer wouldn't do that. Aaron O'Toole said, I'm not going to bother with this. And the liberal scare tactics are always going to be that. Hey, there'll be more guns out there. He'll take away this. He'll take away that. The conservatives want to do this. And generally speaking with Canadians, they fret. And those tactics work a little bit, don't they? Well, they do. And, and yeah, I know they accuse the liberals of that. I mean, everybody gets into scare tactics. The last four days of the campaign, everybody was throwing them, you know, that, that card onto the table and simply saying, if you vote for this guy, you know what they're going to do to you. Uh, but the problem was, I, I think, with O'Toole is that he vacillated far too much because he was trying to be uh, middle of the road Aaron O'Toole in Ontario and hardcore conservative uh, O'Toole out in the prairie provinces. And neither one of them were buying it. I mean, you, you have to be what you are and say, this is what mm-hmm. I am like it or lump it. And, and uh, yeah, I know that can cost you some seats, 
Uh, but things like daycare, gun control, uh, vaccination, I still think was a factor here. Yeah. People say, come on. But the fact that, that he would not, uh, you know, first of all, his party and, and his candidates uh, wouldn't talk about vaccinations or proof of vaccination. Uh, when the 85% of the population right now are saying, you know, we think this is a good idea for the country. Uh, people are thinking, you know, this this guy's just telling us what he what he wants, he thinks we want it to hear. And, and you don't get elected doing that. You've got to stand by your principles. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, the other guys are that much better at it. I'm just saying that when you vacillate like that and people say, I'm not sure about this guy, you know, when they get behind the, the voting booth, they're going to say, I'm not, mm. I, can't, I can't support this guy. That's what it comes down to. And I don't think mm. it costs the conservatives once again. I got about a, a minute and a bit here, but I want you to be able to stretch out for it. NDP, I, I thought, you know, you go back in history, they, they held with Ed Broadbent for a good 15 years. He was reliable. Uh, people liked him popular. I think they were out in the weeds a little bit on the next two, Audrey McLaughlin and Alexa McDonough. I don't think they connected with voters. A, a little bit like how the liberals struggled after Paul Martin with, you know, Dion and, and, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and, and Michael Ignatieff. Yeah. So they've got a guy with charisma and Singh, but I don't know how Singh, and he came to Hamilton a lot during the campaign, as you well know. I don't know how he's not disappointed with the seats. Uh, projections were up 33, 34, 35. He's stuck at 26. But they've got, they can't be making any kind of any kind of changes as well. They've got to stick this through, and, and the NDP just has to, unlike the two traditional parties, I think they got to hold with a popular leader when they get one. They'd be making a big mistake to be questioning what he's doing here. Yeah, I mean, you went back as far as Ed Broadbent, and I think that's a really good example. I mean, in those days, uh, that was Trudeau with the Liberals, and I think Bob Stanfield for a little while, uh, and eventually Joe Clark for the Conservatives. And Ed Broadbent continually was picked as the, you know, the, the favorite pol- pol- political leader. Mm-hmm. But never, it never transformed into votes because, you know, they, hey, we like the guy, but we're not going to trust you with the country. Uh, Jack Leach Singh still gets a pass on this one. I mean, you know, he's, he's relatively new. I know he was the leader during the last campaign two years ago as well, but he had just recently got into the House and, and won a seat there. So uh, the thing is, and, and I think the NDP have to do some soul searching about what kind of a party they are right now. Uh, you know, are they going to try to move more to the middle? Are they, you know, the, when you come to things like energy policy and things of this nature, you're looking for a little more pragmatism. Frankly, it's just something like somebody like, uh, you know, Notley has done in Alberta right now. I mean, she's a former premier, may actually be the next premier of Alberta once again. Yeah. There's an NDP here that understands the importance of the of the, the fossil fuel industry and says you can't just say we're going to shut everything down like some mm-hmm. NDPs are doing. The NDP have to decide exactly who they're going to be, too. Uh, I, I think Singh is, is a, a very likable guy. I'm sure you've talked to him. I yeah. have liked the guy. I'm not so sure that people are ready to trust him, though, with the reins of power. Uh, so they've got some soul-searching to do about exactly what are we going to do. It's all about defining yourself, right? It's a branding. Mm. You know that. You've been mm-hmm. covering politics for years and years. It's all about branding. And if people are comfortable with, yeah. with the brand, then they'll be comfortable with the person that's, that's leading that brand. And, and both the conservatives and, and the NDP, and to a certain extent the liberals, are, mm. uh, are, are having to struggle with that. I think what we happened, happened here last night was a classic example of, okay, we're not crazy about the guy that was the prime minister before, but you know what? We don't like either of the alternatives right now, so let's stick with what we know. Yeah, too great a risk in a pandemic. Hey, Bill, thanks for doing this uh, while prepping for your own show. Nine o'clock this morning uh, with our friends, 900 CHML. It's great to have you on here in Toronto. Thanks for doing this for me. Thanks a lot, Greg. Always a pleasure. All right, Bill Kelly uh, from the Bill Kelly Show. I thought our coverage was amazing. Mercedes Stevenson, star, Far Nasser uh, with the panel, the same. And our next guest was fantastic as well. She is former liberal MP, author of the book, Can You Hear Me Now?, which came out 
just under a year ago, about 10 months ago, and still um, as timely a read as ever, given some of the political circumstances. She is Selena Caesar Siobhan. It's great to have you on. Thanks very much. I, again, you rocked it last night, and you're making time for me this morning and our listeners. So I re- I'm used to this four-hour sleep stuff, so I appreciate this. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Totally. Uh, the the end result, Selena, um, a lot of people look and say, well, you know, Canada shrugged their shoulders and said, um, we're good with what's happening here. Um, but it's tricky, right? We're, we're so because of our structure, as you well realize, only 32 percent voted for um, the prime minister and, and this particular government of one of, of which you were once a part and 68 percent didn't. So how do you view it? Are, are we divided or are we kind of, you know, together on where we're going? So a couple of things um, to, to top this off. Uh, Canadians spent six hundred million dollars to shrug their shoulders and tell the prime minister to get back to work. So there, there's there's something to be said about that. And there's something to also be said about the 32%, which in 2015 was repeatedly mentioned by uh, Justin Trudeau, that this would be the last first-past-the-post election. And now you see why it wasn't, because the maintenance of power within the first-past-the-post system is something that is so important to Justin Trudeau that, that he would never get rid of it, even though he said it a million times. And I, I think that, I, again... This is something that Canadians need to look at when it comes to leadership. They didn't get it wrong last night. They sent him back to work like they did in 2019. And I hope we play a close eye to what happens over the next few months. And I make the case that the pandemic uh, created a scenario where anyone in power in a minority election would have tried to grab more of it. Can I make the case that if this was already Aaron O'Toole as prime minister or if this was Stephen Harper doing it, Stephen Harper moved pretty quick from June of 04 to January of 06 to call an election, um, you know, over a decade ago. And Canadians didn't like that one bit. I mean, campaigning over Christmas, who wants that? But because of the pandemic that, you know, the criticism of it is exactly exacerbated and it's 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 amplified well of course it's amplified and again it's amplified because they were mounting frustrations around individuals who saw the price of everything go up while their their paychecks or their businesses or their revenues declined and there was a frustration there there's a frustration when people are called heroes one day and then um, vilified the next when there's a vaccine mandate. Like, it's not, it's not good or bad, right or wrong. It mm-hmm. just is. And there is a frustration. And to be forced to go to the polls when we were, again, repeatedly told that we would not go to the polls in a pandemic, it's frustrating. And so here we have it. We have a frustrated scenario, again, of Canadians saying, go back to work and work together. That's what we wanted you to do in 2019. That's what we, we said we praised you for doing during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we're going to say it again. It's a it's it's an election where I can't find a clear winner. I would still look at the conservatives and go, Aaron O'Toole can make the case that he prevented a majority government. Sure, he can. Justin Trudeau can say I held serve and we didn't lose power. Um, But the polls were telling him and his internal polling must have been telling him you can grab this majority. Canadians will be with you. They weren't. And I I, even Jugmeet Singh, um, who, again, everybody, the polls always document, hey, who, you know, who would you like to spend time with? Who would be the most relatable? person in your life it's sing it's sing every time and he couldn't make he gained one seat when the some of the projections were well he's going to gain seven or eight and have a much bigger night i can't find a winner among the five leaders 
and and there there really is no winner, and that's the thing that I was thinking about last night. And I, I really was, I, I still am pretty sad about the results of this election because there was no winner. And most importantly, if you have gone to Ottawa or any other legislator to legislate to, to serve, then your duty is to the Canadian people. And they did not win. We lost during a fourth wave when things are tough. We lost $600 million to prove what? To prove that you can't just grab power, especially at a time when people want you to work together. We want a country unified. We want people to look after the poorest and most vulnerable of us. We want boiled water advisories to end. We want certain things to ensure that there's equity in racial and social justice. And we don't want to spend money for the sake of spending money. And it seems like that's what we did. And that there's where Canadians have lost at the expense of power. We're joined by uh, Selena Caesar Siobhan uh, joining us on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. She was part of Global's election coverage last night. I'm glad you brought up the boil water advisories. I'm glad you brought up Indigenous issues. It's maddening to me, Selena, two things that, that it almost was seems so obvious and apparent are critical, urgent issues. One is Indigenous rights. One is, uh, you know, one is taking care of the practicality of making sure people have clean drinking water. The other is long-term care. I mean, for what we yeah. went through 18 months ago, um, yeah. uh, you know, Jugmeet Singh tried. He tried, okay? And he yeah. said, I'm going to get rid of the for-profit places where clearly there's more suffering. And clearly, even in a non-pandemic, there's th- these places are more problematic than if they were government-run or there was some form of government oversight. Neither right. of these issues were were just on the table in the last six weeks to me. And it's it's maddening to me. Exactly, exactly. And those investments could have been made in long-term care to secure those, again, most vulnerable in our communities. But if we go back to, to Indigenous issues for a second, it was promised, again, and I'm going to keep bringing up the promises that have been broken over the last six years. And remember, the last six years were just a minority government. It was four years of a majority government. We did not pass UNDRIP during that those four years. We did not uh, complete all the boiled water advisories that were supposed to be completed in 2021. They were supposed to be this completed this year. We do not have a, a framework for Indigenous rights. These things could have happened during a majority. They could have been finalized during a minority government where people are coming together on very tough issues. Clearly, we could work together if we could make it through a pandemic. We could end boiled water advisories. That was not a priority. And this is, this is what's saddening. This is what, this is, I think, the, the crackling you hear in my voice this mm-hmm. morning, is that Canadians are not getting what they deserve. And it is frustrating for me because I know that better is actually always possible. Let me ask you, uh, we got about a minute and a half, and I want you to be able to stretch out on this answer. Um, what changes it? I felt great voting last night. I always feel great voting, walking with my wife, going, seeing people doing it, uh, you know, e- even in these adverse circumstances, even longer wait times. I think we're going to come out with a good turnout, as cynical as we are about the frustrating reasons why the election was called. But we got we got a pretty great country. We do. And we got to evolve and we got to keep trying to improve it. You've tried to do that. We're trying to do some of us are trying to do that on the radio. But I, I would say, what changes it? What can we do to 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 get the issues that are important right to the forefront and take the cynicism out of politics? So the one thing that we can do that I think every Canadian can agree on 
is to concentrate on the poorest and most vulnerable. Let's concentrate on those that need us the most. Let's mm. gather around those that need us the most. The people that have suffered through this pandemic are, are usually racialized women who have suffered through this pandemic. Rally around them. Let's get some of those sick pay uh, benefits. Let's get some of those things that we know is necessary. Let's rally around Indigenous communities. Let's make sure that they're living in a standard that is worthy of a G7 country. There are people who need us. Let's be, let's be allies at this point and work to ensure that the poorest and most vulnerable among us have equity and can live and thrive. Your message is fantastic. You rocked it last night. Thanks for making time for uh, for me and our listeners this morning. I hope we get to talk a lot more. You're, you're an important voice, whether you're a politician or not. You can probably do more good over the next five, ten years than you were able to do in the last ten. I mean that. Thanks for doing this for me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate those comments. Thank you. You got it. Selena Cesar Siobhan joining us. Uh, we're all convening right now. Rob Trevis and Shiva Siddiqui and Dave uh, Bradley. What time did everybody vote yesterday? I, I left it till the evening, which was a massive mistake. I waited 20 minutes. Dave? Oh, really? I went about 2 o'clock and uh, 5 minutes in and out. Bing, bang. That was, did you go by yourself? Yeah. You did, eh? And I, okay. Rob? Uh, 1 o'clock. Took me 10 minutes. And then I got some falafel. Delicious. Was that part of the? <laughs> that's a special riding. Oh, they didn't give out free falafel. Oh, yeah, All I got was a pencil, and you got a meal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sheba voting that time. I went on the weekend, actually. I took... Oh, you such an overachiever, keener. keener. Yeah, you know what it is? I wanted my kids... My kids have been heavily involved in this. We've just been talking about the election, the candidates, the parties, the writings. So I took them. I wanted them to be part of it. Obviously, I couldn't take them when they were in school. So we went on the weekend. They came behind the booth with me. They saw me make my my X mark, and uh, they got to put it into the Mm. the little box. So it was an experience for them as well. Sounds like a voter fraud, potentially. (laughs) I'd lead with that. It's all that nasty voter fraud Donald Trump talked about south of the border. Maybe we've got it up here. Uh, well, at least you got done. This day in history, Dave, and it, and it starts with uh, an election uh, that jumped out at us from uh, September 21st in history. Yeah, back in 1911, the Canadian election result had conservative Robert Borden defeating liberal Wilfrid Laurier. But get this, 70.2% voter turnout. Wow. That's wow. incredible. We just don't see numbers like that anymore. Also, the $100 bill beat the $5 bill. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's, that's a good, a good point. Yeah, point. That took a little while for me to catch up right wow. there. It's Probably. been a long time since I've seen 100. So we only Sorry. had <laughs> Sorry about that. We only had 2 million, about 2.1 million Canadians then, and 1.3 of them came out and voted. That's, that's pretty fantastic. I mean, the, the pressure to go out and vote must be uh, pretty heavy, right? You have to do your civic duty. You, you have need to. to choose. Well, you yeah, and, and you'd also figure it's way easier. I know people think, well, it's manipulated now and social media and bots. It would be way easier in 1911 to lie about the other candidate. You just start a whisper around the neighborhood. Yeah, like, totally. Do you hear what Borden wants? Borden wants to cut off a finger for every, uh, <laughs> like, you could do that, I think, and tell terrible stories about people, and there'd be no way to disprove them. You get the broken telephone game after yeah. that, and away you go. Eventually, that comes back to Wilford Lorre, and he's like, who's talking crap? About <laughs> I'm not cutting now. I'm going to cut off your <laughs> finger. On this day, 1970, Monday Night Football premiered on ABC. In that game, the Browns beat the Jets 31 21. 
I love the idea that somebody in a boardroom somewhere, I just always picture boardroom discussions, well catered, right? Bagels and coffee and all that stuff. Those are the things I miss about the office. But imagine some executive saying, you know what? This is not going to work. This is going to. Nobody's crime watch time on Monday night. What are you football talking about? Football in the evening, like, hu- like husbands and wives, that's their family. They play game nights and they smoke pipes and read books. <laughs> this is never going to. They watch dramas and comedies. It's never going to work. It was and, the 70s. It wasn't the 40s. It's true. And now pipes we get three. Because back then we didn't even have. Um, I think every World Series baseball game was in the daytime as well. Like, yeah, have, I think you might be right. Actually, you'd have kids listening to transistor radio. As Rose, uh, and the problem now is for every sporting event, and and Sheba, you must face this at home. Is everything's on too late? We live in the Eastern Time Zone, so playoff baseball games, NBA Finals games, they end at midnight. Yeah. It's too late. Way too late. Way too late. Uh, Speaking of basketball, USA announced the dream team for the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona on this day, 1991. I remember that because everybody and their brother had a USA basketball shirt because you could buy it at, like, Giant Tiger. um, (laughs) And it was dirt cheap. But, like, everybody was wearing this. Nobody had a Team Canada shirt because... It was the dream team. We didn't know any, and pre-internet, right? We didn't know yeah. any of the players, so you didn't know anybody from any other countries, and uh, you just thought, well, they're going to win every game by 60 points. That year, they almost did. Yeah. So I think it was 2000. They didn't win two years later. And, of course, the big controversy was they none of them wanted to play with Isaiah Thomas. That was a big part of the last dance, right? He was, well, a yeah, that was He was a huge jerk. <laughs> Michael, According to Michael Jordan. <laughs> well, I'm a, I was a Piston <laughs> fan, so I thought Jordan was the jerk, Rob. Uh, of but course. That's an unpopular opinion after uh, all those scenes in the last dance. It's lonely at the top. <laughs> I hear you. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's Michael Jordan was sort of like, well, if I don't play, then maybe the whole house of Car- but he was right because Larry Bird didn't like Isaiah, yeah, and uh, the Utah players didn't like Isaiah, and Magic used to be friends with Isaiah, so you can't have one guy come. It's that one guy that comes on like a guy's trip, Dave, and you're like, are you sure? Yeah, he's a friend of a friend, and you're like, yeah, oh, he might he go? might drive the golf cart into the water as opposed to over the bridge. Like this could wreck our whole outing, <laughs> and Isaiah Thomas was that guy. Totally. On this day in 2003 at the Emmy Awards, we just uh, handed out the Emmy Awards over this past weekend, but back in 2003, Outstanding Drama, The West Wing, Outstanding Comedy, (laughs) was Everybody Loves Raymond, and then uh, Kiefer Sutherland nominated for Best Actor for 24, believe it or not. Did you ever watch that show, 24? I loved it. I loved the first five years of it. Intensely watched 24. Really? Yes. Never watched a single episode. Me wow. neither. I couldn't get into it. No, yeah, no nothing. Wow. Sorry. I cannot believe I'm one of four. That was that. Because then at a certain point in time, you're like, well, how does he keep having days like this? Like maybe another career is but better. But how many seasons were there? At least seven or eight. I, I did so pull. So he went a whole week. I'm the king. I, I can't. Breaking Bad and The Sopranos might be two series that I watched till the very end, but you know how you drift a little bit, right? Three years into something, four years into something, no. you're like, they're now they're recite. I worry about Handmaid's Tale, right? Like I, I do you guys watch Handmaid's Tale? I, I watched it a little bit in the beginning, not so much anymore. Shiva? Same. I'm this I loved it at the beginning because I saw the, I read the book and then now I just I'm not into it. I know. I drifted a little bit last year, um, to some extent. But uh The West Wing, I don't my wife was trying to convince me that I watched it with her and I'm like, I, maybe I don't remember anything before childbirth and being a parent, but I, I had no a, recollection of this. I heard it was a very well written show. That's very all well I was written. Told. Yeah. Everybody yeah. loves Raymond holds up though. Good show. Really? Yeah, solid yeah. comedy. And on this day in 2004, Green Day released the album American Idiot, which was quite political. 
Yeah, it got uh, it got a ton of attention. They sort of got more serious uh, with themselves, and they were. It was very much a re- like you think we're polarized now. This was all about Bush going into Iraq. Yeah. Really, really critical. Uh, they used some swear words that had to get bleeped. But this um, is what punk rock music was all about, right? The yeah, political yeah. message. This, this is what they've gone away from. Uh, now I think it's it's too much bubblegum punk rock. So yeah, get more of this political messaging and and what yeah. Do, yeah, what do artists establishment? What do artists stand for? I mean, yeah. Sheba, what does Drake stand for besides trying to get free <laughs> agents to the Raptors? That's those are the questions we have to ask. Having the biggest house in the city. <laughs> yes, and living the on the bridal style and the and, coolest uh, hairstyle. Come on, you're going to shave a heart in your hair tonight. That's not bad, I suppose. But yeah, yeah like like Green Day's not going to put Hotline Bling on American Idiot. It doesn't. It doesn't say anything at the end of the day. Uh, that's how that works. All right, Dave. Thanks so much. No problem. Uh, we'll uh, revisit a few of these topics after uh, seven o'clock. Thanks very much for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. We appreciate it. We're live back on the air tomorrow between 5.30 a.m. and 9 a.m. Always appreciate you stopping by. Always appreciate your interaction. And as mentioned, the podcast, subscribe to it, rate it. Let us know how we're doing and share it with others. We appreciate that. Thanks very much. Have a great day.